Well, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series. We actually just started a series last week. We've called it God's, God Has a Name. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at a passage in the book of Exodus that um, I believe is one of the most important passages in the Bible because it's the one and only place where God describes himself. This is a self-disclosure statement that God gives to the world. And uh, because of this, this is, uh, it, it has become one of the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. And so, in other words, the biblical authors go back and they circle back to this passage over and over again, repeating it, uh, alluding to it, talking about it, all the way through the Bible. And some have called it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. So uh, the, old, the ancient people of Israel memorized this passage, and they would uh, recite it before they opened up the Torah. They would recite it on, in the synagogue on Saturday. They would recite it in all their, their special holidays. This is a huge, pas- huge passage where God literally, line by line, describes who he is, which is a really important question. Who is God? What is God like? Who is this God that we know uh, in the Bible? And so uh, we're, we're looking at it here in, in the series. And uh, what's important to know about these, the things that God says about himself right up front is that the things God says about himself are things that can be true about us as well, okay? And so theologians, we're just gonna jump right into it this morning. Theologians make a distinction between God's communicable attributes and his non-communicable attributes, Okay, so God's uh, non-communicable attributes are things that are true about God that will never, never be true about us. So God's omnipotence, God is all-powerful, that's true of God, but you will never be all-powerful. Uh, God's, uh, God's omnipresence, God is everywhere all the time, that's true about God, that will never be true about you. <laughs> God's uh, omniscience, God knows everything, that's true about God, that won't be true about you. And so these are God's non-communicable attributes or non-transferable attributes attributes. But there are communicable attributes or transferable attributes that are, that are true about God that God hopes will rub off on us. Okay, so uh, those who worship God, those who love God, those who follow God will, will become like God in these particular attributes. And so this passage that we're looking about at uh, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, these are a list of God's communicable attributes. These are true about God, but they will also be true about those who worship God. God hopes that these things that are true about him, these things that he uses to describe himself, will begin to rub off on us, okay? And so uh, we're gonna go through the list. We're gonna begin with this one. So the first thing that God says about himself, Exodus 34, is he says, I am a God who is compassionate. Here's the subject today. We're gonna look at God's attribute of, of compassion. God describes himself as a compassionate God. Now, uh, in the modern world, this is almost a given, right? I mean, most of us, uh, if we believe in God, if we, when we think about God, we think, yes, God is compassionate. Of course God is compassionate, or he should be compassionate. You know, you ask anybody today who believes in God, and they'll say, I believe in a God of love. I believe in a God of, of compassion. Of course, this is the way that God is and the way he should be. But in the ancient world, this was not the case, not at all. In the ancient world, when people thought of God or the gods, the, the very last word that would come into their brains is compassionate. Because the gods, the gods in the ancient world, they were, they were finicky, uh, they, were, they were vindictive and violent, they were always fighting with one another, violent, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just always angry all the time. This was the gods in the ancient world. In fact, when they, weather patterns, when there was thunder and lightning like we had last night, what, the way the ancient people would interpret that is, oh, the gods are fighting again. 
the gods are at each other's throats again. And, uh, and because of this, the people lived in fear of the gods. It's like they would walk on eggshells around the gods, uh, worrying that they might offend the gods because this is what they were like, temperamental, angry, violent, vindictive. The very last word that they would use to describe the gods is compassionate. But then Yahweh comes along. And he says, I'm different than all the other gods. The way that I want you to think about me is that I am compassionate. I'm not like them. I am a God who is loving and gracious and compassionate. And this was challenging to people in the ancient world. And in some cultures today, this is actually still very challenging. And so in the West, we think about God, and like I said, we think about God as compassionate and loving. This is a given. But in non-Western cultures, this is not necessarily the case. In fact, I was reading a a book this past week where an Asian pastor, a a pastor in Korea, he said, you know, in our culture, he said, the the thing that people struggle with about the Christian God is his compassion. He said, if I get up and I tell people that God sends people to hell and that God is angry and, and, and is a God of judgment, they're like, okay, you know, God judges evildoers. Yeah, we can accept that. But, but what they find hard to accept in the non-Western world is a God who forgives the most evil of people, a God that will be compassionate against uh, evildoers. That is what they struggle with in the non-Western world, even today. But here's what I want you to see today is that even us, even us, you know, modern Western Americans, I, I would suggest that, that we on a very visceral and practical level, level still struggle with God's compassion. I think we can still struggle with God's compassion because, you know, it's awesome when God is compassionate towards us, right? We all want God's compassion in our own lives, but what about when God wants to be compassionate to our ex-wife, right, who deeply wronged, wronged us? Or what about when God wants to be loving and compassionate to, uh, you know, the, the, the boss that fired us in that job? Or what about when God wants to be compassionate to the neighbor who is cruel to our kids, right? Then we, then we have a real issue. Then we struggle with God's compassion. And today I want to look at a very famous passage where one man is struggling with God's compassion. It's a very famous story. This is the book of Jonah where one man is really, uh, he's, he's wrestling with that, this idea that God is a compassionate God, And so we're going to look at this, uh, chapter 4, the very last chapter in the book, but let me give you some context. So this is uh, the end of a story where uh, God comes to Jonah the prophet, and he tells Jonah to go preach uh, to the Ninevites and tell them to repent. Now the Ninevites, they were, this was the, the, Nineveh was the capital city of the great superpower of the day. And these people were incredibly brutal, incredibly violent, and God tells Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. I want you to tell them to repent. You see, God is even holding pagan nations responsible for their brutality. Even though they don't believe or don't necessarily follow the God of Israel, the God of Israel is holding them responsible for their violence. He says, Jonah, go tell them to repent. So Jonah comes, goes to the people of Nineveh and he says, okay, if you don't repent of your violence, God's gonna smite you. He's gonna send some calamity your way. He's gonna send a famine or a plague or something. So you better stop it. You better repent. And the and the and the, the Ninevites do repent. It's a surprising, they repent of all of their sins and they say, oh God of Israel, don't smite us. You know, what well, we stop, we, we repent of what we've done. And when they repent, God shows compassion on them and the prophet Jonah, Jonah is angry about it. <laughs> Jonah is angry that God has shown compassion, compassion on the Ninevites. And he's struggling at the end of chapter four here, the end of this book, he's struggling with God's compassion here. 
And because of that, I think it's a, it's a perfect place to, to learn about God's compassion, about what, what this looks like really on the ground. And so as we, go, as we look at this last chapter, I want us to see um, three things about God's compassion. Number one, we're going to ask, what is it? Second of all, who is it for? And then finally, how might it shape us? What is it? Who is it for? How does it shape us in our lives? And so God's compassion, what is it? Well, the passage tells us at the end that God's compassion is God uh, voluntarily attaching his heart to us. This is what it means. God's compassion is God voluntarily attaching his heart to us. And so in the story, uh, at the very end, you know, the people repent. Jonah goes outside of the city. He leaves the city to go sulk. And he sits by a plant. There's a plant that grows. And this is a very, uh, Nineveh was in the desert, so this was a dry, humid climate. And so uh, this plant springs up out of the ground, and and some uh, 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 translations call it a gourd. Uh, Other translations call it a vine. Mine just simply says it's a plant. And uh, in this climate, there were these plants that would just shoot up almost overnight, and, and so that's what this plant did. It shot up. And the thing, about, the thing about it is Jonah is just so excited about the plant. It's green, it provides shade, and so he just loves this plant. He's so excited about the plant. But then the plant dies, and Jonah falls apart. He's, he's, he's in despair because of the plant. He's, uh, he's, he's deeply saddened by the plant now that it's dead. And then God looks at Jonah and says, Jonah... You had compassion, this is the word that he uses in verse 2, verse 10, and verse 11, and he uses it to describe, to describe the way Jonah feels about the plant. Jonah, you had compassion on the plant, and the word compassion there literally means you, your heart was broken by the plant. Your, uh, your, your emotions were all wrapped up in the plant. And he says, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant, but, he, but, John, but then he turns around and God says, this is the way I feel about people. Okay, and so compassion, what is it? It is, it is when your heart becomes attached to something, right? When the plant dies, Jonah dies. When the plant lives, Jonah lives. And compassion is when you're, you know, when something happens to something, you're affected by it, just like it, it was you that, was, that it happened to. Is to be, it is to attach your heart to something else. Jonah attaches his heart to the plant, and God says, my heart is attached to people. This is what it means for God to be compassionate. Now, this is amazing when you think about it, you know, because God is so, I mean, God is huge. God is, God is a big God, and, and to, us, to, to us, I mean, we are like, you know, the world is like a piece of lint to God, and we are like smaller pieces of lint on that lint. And yet the great transcendent God says that my heart is attached to you. Right? We're like, we're like an amoeba, right? And you, know, and you think about the distance between you and, a, and an amoeba. And God says, even though you are so small, my heart is attached to you. When you die, I die. When you suffer, I suffer. When something affects you, it's like it affects me. This is the way God feels about us. This is God's compassion. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. This is how he, how he explains it. He says, who, He who contains in himself the cause of his own and all other bliss, nevertheless he can say, How shall I give thee up, O Ephraim? How shall I abandon thee, O Israel? My heart is broken within me, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, how often I, have, I would have gathered... Uh, gathered thy children together, even as a hen 
gathers her chickens under her wings, but she would not listen. Even though God is so transcendent, even though he contains in himself the cause of his own and all others, other bliss, he says, when you suffer, I suffer. Now, how could this be true about God? It's because, you know, here's, we, we get attached to things and people even without, you know, wanting to, Right? And you think about you, you, you're attached because we have needs. We need uh, people to be happy. We need, we, have, we need things to be happy. And so we get attached to them. But God, like Lewis says, he doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anything. In himself, he contains uh, everlasting happiness. So how could a God who doesn't need anything become attached to us? The answer is he did it voluntarily. He chose to be attached to us in this way. The word uh, compassion there, it, it, the root, root of it comes from uh, uh, the, the same word that's used to describe a mother's womb. And so it's almost, God, it's almost like God is saying that the way a mother feels about her child, that's the way my heart is attached to you. And in fact, the Bible, this is parental love, and in fact, the Bible literally says that. And so Isaiah 49, 15 says this, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for her child of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you, says the Lord. So uh, even a mother may forget, even a a mother, uh, you know, might not have compassion in some cases, but God says, my love is so much greater than that. And then Psalm 103, 13, as a father father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So God is attached to us like God, like a parent is attached to their children. And if you're a parent, you know this. You know that when something affects your child, it affects you. Uh, last night I was playing ball in the front with the neighbor kids, and uh, with my, my kids were there, and the neighbor kids were there, and we're all playing kickball. And during the course of our game, one of the kids fell over, and he fell over, and, and he hurt his, he hurt his uh, knee. And he's laying on the ground screaming and crying and I came up there and of course it's a sad situation and my heart goes out to the child but I didn't weep. I wasn't, I wasn't really all that moved by it. I said, go, go get his mama. Go get his mama. And then mama came out and she was a basket case. Oh no, she, it's like she was wounded. It's like his pain was her pain and she was on the ground with him and she was lifting him up. It's because she's his mama, right? And someone once said that you're only as happy as your, as your least happy child. You ever heard that? You're only as happy as your least happy child is because your happiness is bound up in their happiness. When they suffer, you suffer. When they have joy, you have joy. This is the way God feels about us. And how different is this than the Greek gods? You know, the, Greek talked about two, the Greeks talked about two types of love. Um, one is the love of benevolence and the other is the, the love of attachment. And the love of benevolence had to do with the will. You could, it was a one-way love. You, just, you could uh, give to somebody and care for somebody, but you're not really attached to them. You didn't even really have to like them to give to them. This is the love of benevolence. It had to do with the will. But then there was the love of attachment, the Greek said. And this was a love that was a two-way love because what happened to the beloved affected you and moved you and, and, and hurt you and and really changed you, and this is the way God feels about us. Compassion, it's an emotional word. This is not the, uh, you know, the the distant Greek God here. This This is a God who's moved and involved, even though he's so great and transcendent, like a parent. When you suffer, he suffers. 
God's compassion. And that's what it is. This is what God means when he says he's compassionate. But, but let's ask the question, who is this for? Who is God's compassion for? Because this is, uh, this is almost the point of the passage. Because um, who is God's compassion for? Well, in the passage we see that God says, look, you, Jonah, you care about the plant. You're, you're all wrapped up in this, in this uh, botanical uh, non-human thing. Who am I compassionate towards? God says, I have compassion towards the Ninevites. Now, this is shocking because who are the Ninevites? We mentioned a little bit uh, earlier, but the Ninevites were an abominable people, totally abominable. And so if you were uh, an ancient Hebrew, uh, the way that you would look at a Ninevite is they were, they were, they called them Gentiles, which, which meant that they were complete outsiders. They were fuel for the flames of hell is what some people called them. They were unclean, and so they were untouchable. If you were a person of Israel, you would never touch a Gentile. You'd never get close to a Gentile. Certainly, you'd never marry a Gentile. Uh, they were just utter outsiders. Um, these were the Ninevites. They also had offensive beliefs about God. So they were pluralistic. They believed in all sorts of vindictive gods. They didn't believe in the one true God. And so to a Hebrew person, their beliefs were offensive. And that, like I said, they were brutal. Uh, the Ninevites, in fact, there was a library found in the city of Nineveh where they uncovered annals and books about the history of this people. And they were utterly bl- brutal. They would flay their enemies alive. They would sacrifice children to the gods. They were just a violent, brutal, I can't even overstate how bad they were. And this is why when God says, uh, Jonah, I want you to preach to them, it's almost comical. Jonah says, okay, um, I don't think I'm gonna do that. In fact, Jonah, Nineveh's over here. Jonah gets on a boat and he goes the complete opposite direction. There's no way he's gonna do that. Not because he's afraid of the Ninevites, but he's afraid that God might forgive them if they repent. He hated them that much. And then finally this scene, Jonah finally goes, you know, there's a long story about a fish, and, and Jonah, Jonah finally ends up in Nineveh, and he goes, he goes and he preaches to them, and it's the worst sermon in human history. You know, there's no cute story about his children, there's no three points, there's no, uh, you know, play just as I am, the buses will wait, none of that stuff. Jonah walks through the city and he says, 40 days and you're all dead. (laughs) And then he walks out, that's it. And then lo and behold, the people fall on their knees and in mass, I mean mass conversions, mass repentance, they all repent. I mean, this 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 is incredible. The whole city is repenting. They're all saying, oh, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be brutal. And how does Jonah respond? Again, this is comedic. This is so funny. Jonah actually quotes Exodus 34, 6 and 7, right? That God has a name. He quotes that passage. And this is how he quotes it. He says, God, I knew it. I knew it. This is what I was afraid of. This is why I went in the exact opposite direction because I knew that you were a God compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Yuck. (laughs) You can't trust this God to smite your enemies. And he's so mad at God's compassion because God's compassion is indiscriminate. God's compassion is scandalous. God shows compassion on the most barbaric, brutal, despicable people. And Jonah's mad. 
So who is God's compassion for? God's heart goes out. God suffers when we suffer. But it's not just us. God has compassion for who? The Ninevites. Even the Ninevites. Bites. Vites. Now, why does God have compassion on them? Well, notice God, there's this really um, evocative uh, Hebraicism down at the bottom where it says that God has compassion on them because he says their right hand, they don't, they don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, he's saying they're, they're so blind, they're so clueless that they're barbaric. They just don't even know what they're doing. God says, that's why I have compassion on them. The very reason why Jonah wants to run away from them. They're blind, they're stupid, they're clueless. For that very same reason, God wants to move towards them. You see, when we see despicable people, we want to shut the door and run away. But when God sees people who don't know their right hand from their left, it moves them to compassion. Who is God's compassion for? It's for those people that need it the most. About a month ago, a little uh, stray dog walked into our house. I was giving my kids a bath, and uh, out of the middle of no, it was 7.30 in the evening, and we had left our garage door open, and the stray dog wandered into the house and into the bathroom where I'm giving the kids a bath. And I look at this dog. The dog has fleas, the dog has been astray for God knows how long, and he's, you know, red mange and smells bad, and, uh, you know, just a, a total mess. And my first, first response was, get it out of my house. Get it out of my house. My wife looks at the dog. She sees the same dog. She sees the fleas, she sees the red mange, she, sees, she smells the smell, the visceral smell, and her response, oh, let's take it in, let's embrace the dog. You see, the same horrible characteristics that repelled me moved Anita to compassion. And because of this, Anita is like God in that way. When God sees brokenness and suffering and, and ugliness, it moves him, it moves him to, move, to, to, to show compassion. It, his heart is open. And again, this is the way we view our children, right? You know, I was, there was this show on a while back called uh, The Making of a Murderer. Anybody seen that one? I think that's what it was called, The Making of a Murderer. Anybody seen that one? Remember this, there, it's, it, did he really do it? I don't know, you know, and it's like this real, uh, it's a, um, they're interviewing the, the victims and they're inter interviewing the murderer and he is just, he did it. There's no doubt in my mind. This guy is a despicable human being. I mean, just the lowest of the low. Nobody likes him except for his mama. They interview his mama and it's like, but you guys don't understand. He doesn't know his right hand from his left. He, does, he's, he didn't know, you know, this is the way he was raised and there's this this and all this other stuff and she's got compassion on him and this is the way God feels not only about his own children but about even the Ninevites. When God sees ugliness, when God is, sees a, a sinful people, he doesn't want to run away and shut the door and say, ooh, yeah, get them away. God moves towards us. And we all know this. When, when our kids are broken, when they're wandering, they get more of our love not less. 
When God sees someone wandering and wayward and broken, he's not disdainful, he's compassionate. There's one point in Numbers, which is the next book over, where the people of Israel, they complain again. They're complaining again because they're always complaining, and they're complaining about water. And God had fed them before, and they shouldn't have been complaining. And so Moses, he's so angry, and he says, God, what do I do with these people? And God says, well, you, you touch the rock with your stick, and you f- give them water. And so Moses takes his rod, and he says, you people, what's wrong with you? You're always complaining, smack, and he starts beating on the, the rock, and water comes out. And then afterwards, God says, come here, Moses. And Moses comes, he says, what? I'm, you're mad, I'm mad, these people, what's wrong with them? And he says, Moses, you're mad, but I'm not mad. He says, when I look at their complaining, I'm moved, not mad. And when God sees our brokenness, when he sees the people far away and Gentiles and, you know, brutal, he's not mad, he's moved. This is who it's for. And, and, and I think we see this mostly in Jesus, Right? I mean, fast forward several, you know, 100 years, and, and what do you've got? You've got God in human flesh. You've got Jesus Christ, who is God's name uh, physically embodied. And what, what is the most prominent thing about Jesus? His compassion for outsiders. In fact, many people say that Jesus' scandalous compassion for people like tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and the blind and the lame his compassion towards these people were what got him crucified. Because his compassion made the Pharisees angry just like it made Jonah angry. And so in the New Testament, there's a Greek word that's, that's descri- that describes Jesus' uh, interior state, you know, the way he feels about these people. It's the Greek word splakizomai. Can we all say that together? Splakizomai. It means to be moved in your guts, you know, like when you're on a roller coaster and your gut goes up in the air, or when you're, you know, you're, you're deeply sad or depressed and you feel it in your gut. This is the way Jesus feels about outsiders, about the people that everybody else was disgusted by. The splakizomai that Jesus so often felt was nothing short of a gut-twisting emotion, emotional reaction to the reality of other people's suffering. His guts twisted for hungry people, sick people, for blind people, for people grieving a lost loved one, for people who were spiritually harassed, lost, and exhausted. When Jesus looked at somebody's brokenness, he wasn't repelled. He was moved. He was moved to his guts. And this is God's compassion. So what is God's compassion? It is, it's, it's God being open to us, God being attached to us. His heart is attached to us. He's not the unmoved mover out there. He's, he's like a parent. And who does God feel this for? He feels it not only for us, but for all kinds of people, the Ninevites, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all these people on the outside. These are the people that God is moved towards. But let me uh, end like this, or not end, but give you another point. I'm not quite over yet. How does this shape us? Because remember, this is one of God's communicable attributes. Remember that? This is an attribute. This should rub off on us. The people that worship this God of compassion should be people that become compassionate themselves. And in fact, this is exactly what Jesus said. So this is Jesus 
a quote from the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, but if you, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But he says, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your return will be great and you will be sons of your most high for he is kind and un- to the ungrateful and the evil. And then he ends like this saying, be compassionate even as your father is compassionate. So this thing about God is also to be true about us. Are you compassionate? Is your heart open? When you see somebody that, you th- that you, to your mind is evil and ugly and broken and despicable, do you run away like Jonah? Or do you move towards them? You see, this thing that's true about God should rub off on us in our own lives. We are to be compassionate. You see, most of us have the working assumption that God is like us. There's a limit to God's compassion. He's repulsed by sin and turns away when he sees ugliness. But human pain opens the door to his compassion. And does human pain open the door to your compassion? And listen, there are people in your lives every day that you have an opportunity to have compassion on. Hint, they're the people that irritate you the most. But every single day, I I would wager if I talk to any single one of you at your workplaces, in your, hopefully it's not your spouse, but maybe. (laughs) Uh, You know, wherever you are, there are opportunities for you to open up your heart and to show compassion on people every single day. They're usually the people that you find despicable. I was talking to my sister last week, and we were talking about Facebook. And uh, we were talking about defriending people on Facebook. And we were talking about how there were, there's some people that, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people, and I could tolerate a lot of things, but there's those few people that if they put something on there, they're getting defriended, or at least I'm going to hide their posts. I know you guys do this too. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. But I was talking to her about, you know, this one friend, you know, and he's vitriolic and just angry, and yep, he, he's off, not looking at his stuff anymore. And then I mentioned this other person who's actually a relative. And I said, you know, this person, I just couldn't handle it. I shut them off. I shut the door. And she said, really, Brent? But this is so-and-so. That's so heartless. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it is. You know, maybe it is. I, I, there, listen, we, there are those people that it's okay to defriend, right? I think that's true. But, but maybe there are people on your feed that God wants you to keep them in there and maybe pray for them when you see something ugly. Instead of despise them and say, I want to run away and get rid of you, maybe God wants you to say, you know what? I'm praying for that person. I'm going to open my heart up to that person. I mean, Jesus even said, I mean, this is probably one of the ways you can get compassion for somebody is pray for them. The person that's irritating you, just pray for that person. Oh, God, help them. I, this is, they probably don't know their right hand from their left, and maybe you pray for them, and maybe because of that, your heart warms to them and opens up to them, and, you're, and you begin to go out and move towards rather than run away. 
Because a, a lot of people are acting like that because they're wounded. Here's a quote from Carl Rogers, which uh, when I read it, I just, this, I thought this was incredible. He said, the central core difficulty in people as I have come to know them is that in the great majority of cases, they despise themselves and regard themselves as worthless and unlovable. You know, they come off to you as irritating and mean, but on the inside, maybe, maybe they despise themselves. And what would happen if a Jesus follower said, you know what, I'm gonna be compassionate the way my Father in heaven is compassionate. And I'm gonna pray for them. And I'm gonna move towards them. Someone might ask, well, how do we do this? And I I think the way that we do this is by realizing that God is compassionate towards us. When I was younger, there was a song that a worship leader sang where he sang, I am that leper, I am that blind man. And maybe one of the ways we get compassion towards others is realizing how broken we are and how the God of the Bible, instead of running away from us in Jesus, came towards us into the world and literally bore our sin, bore our brokenness, attached himself to us on the cross, dying for us, so that he could bring us in. The more you realize his compassion towards you, the more you can pay that forward. You've got to receive that attribute before you can send it out to somebody else. So let's pray that God does this. Can we stand and pray that God helps us to be a compassionate community? Father, we, uh, we thank you so much that you are the God of compassion. Lord, that uh, you uh, amazingly have opened yourself up to us, that our, our pain gives you pain, Our suffering makes you suffer. When we die, you die, Lord. We we thank you that you feel that way about us. And Father, we pray that as a community, we might be a people that communicate that same compassion to people outside the four walls of this church. God, we pray for those people in our lives, our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, our coworkers, our bosses. God, I pray that these opportunities that we have Uh, to be like you, Lord, that you'd help us to walk through those doors. Give us the power to do that, Lord. We pray that through the death and resurrection of the compassionate one, Jesus, that you would work that compassion into our lives. And I pray that we might be a people who are not shut off and closed, but that you might open open our hearts, Lord, so that we would be vulnerable to the pain and hurts of others, so that we could be more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.